0: Hi and welcome to the latest installment of the Rocks and Money podcast. I am Matt Batty your host. Hope y'all are having a great week. Once again, I have to thank Static and Verona for my intro and outro music. Man, I love these guys. You can find them wherever you source your music. Great band out of Chicago. Today, I want to talk about gold, you guys. And I, if I, <laughs> I can't even tell you how many times I've started this podcast over and over because. You know, uh, gold is frustrating to me because it's, it just doesn't move like other commodities. You know, other commodities are so that the drivers, the demand and the supply drivers are much more transparent to me than what, than what moves gold. But the other thing that got me thinking about this is I've gotten a lot of email about gold prices lately because, you know, gold peaked earlier this year and has come off about 20% and my gut, my, you know, this is <laughs> as a scientist, I hate saying those words. My gut feeling was that that 2020 was a, a record setting year for gold prices. I thought for sure that we saw, you know, one of the biggest moves in gold prices ever this year. I, I, I really did. I thought that there was a period there in March where the gold price uh, moved more than it had. And so, In order to do this, in order to to kind of follow this up, because this is, this gives you a little insight into the kind of person I am. I dumped daily gold price data from back all the way back to 1990 into a spreadsheet and just started chopping it up. I looked at, uh, I looked at daily price moves. I looked at weekly price moves. I looked at monthly price moves and quarterly price moves to see if my gut feelings about gold price uh, in 2020 were correct. And it turns out I was kind of right, but kinda of not right at the same time. So if we look at daily moves, you know, the, the biggest move in one day since nineteen ninety happened on September twenty eighth, nineteen ninety-nine. The price of gold jumped nine point two percent that day. That's a heck of a move. And and in September September seventeenth, two thousand eight, we had a nine percent move. And you have to go all the way down one, two, three, four, five. The sixth largest move was this year. So March twenty fourth, two thousand twenty, gold price moved five point nine percent up in one day. But when you look at the when you look at the distribution of biggest daily moves in the gold price, you find that uh, the period from two thousand eighteen to two thousand twenty to today, right? There were only maybe sixteen of them, uh, and and for the for the most part, the the period that had the most big moves, daily moves in gold was between uh, 2006 and 2010, which kind of makes sense, right? That was the big run up in the gold price prior to its peak in 2011. So we're not, we we did put a couple days in there um, in 2020, but really it's not, wasn't enormous. And when we, we go back and look at weekly change too, so let's say you know, when I, when I looked at a weekly change, I, I said, okay, here's the price today. What was the price a week ago? And, and what we saw is that 2008, September of 2008 saw some of the biggest weekly or September 18th, 2008 specifically saw the largest weekly gain in the price of gold. It was over 20% in a week. <laughs> that's a, that's a heck of a move and you've got to go well down the list. So, um, You know, that was 20%. Uh, In 99, there was an 18% weekly move. But 2008 has most of the days. You know, if we looked at the the bulk of them, there's about um, nine of the top 25 weekly changes in the price of gold happened in 2008. 2020, you know, that that week, March 26th, we had an 11.6% move, which was pretty good. Um, That's kind of where we were go all the way back to March 24th that was an 8 8.8% 8. almost 9% weekly move but for the most part 2000 2020 i think put three of the top 25 days in there 2008 had 9 99 had six then we looked at then i looked at monthly changes and i'm going to get i promise you i'm going somewhere with this i'm not just going to read you numbers the whole time <laughs> but monthly changes man month over month 2020 wasn't really in the picture the biggest changes month over month came in 1999. And I, you know, I was in graduate school, man. I kind of wish I had seen this market. Now I've heard stories about it from some of the, the old guys who've been around that long, um, that it was a a ripping market, but you know, the single biggest monthly change happened in October of 99. It was 28, a 28% jump in the price of gold. So that's, that's pretty impressive. And then I looked at quarterly change just to kind of figure things out um, on a longer time frame. And again, you know, what I found was that 2008 uh, or I'm sorry, 2020, there were about 131 quarterly day, quarterly moves. But the big moves happened between 2006 and 2011, where there were, you know, almost 400 over 400 uh, records set in that period. So. All that brings me around to say that the extreme that I thought we saw in gold in 2020 really wasn't. I just, you know, we're out of practice. <laughs> it's been a long time since we've seen gold prices move higher like that. But certainly in the context of historical moves, 2020, eh, we had a couple good days. We had a couple good weeks, but by and large, it's not anything extraordinary. And that's important to me because I'm a contrarian. And so Typically, when I see extremes, I start thinking about a change in direction, right? So when you see everybody piled in on one side of the trade, I want to be on the other side of the trade. So when everybody's going long and pushing the gold price up higher and higher, faster and faster, that's when you start thinking about moving the other way. And that's not where we are right now with gold prices. So even though it's come off 20%, I'm still bullish. And the data kind of supports a macro thesis along those lines as well. So as I said, you know, with natural resources, the the supply and demand drivers are usually relatively transparent. We know when you know industrial demand for galvanized products begins to decline and you know mine production is on the way up, zinc prices are probably going to fall. <laughs> and we know that when you know we have a a record corn crop and demand for corn is is kind of falling because of a trade war or some such. The price probably is going to come down. With gold, the supply and demand is there, it's just different because it's a financial supply and demand. Gold de- gold becomes uh, in demand when it looks like the wheels are going to come off the economy. That's why it ripped in in March when when the pandemic hit and financial folks started to get their head around the fact that we were going to shut down the world, they fled gold because gold is the most liquid of these kind of financial insurance policy assets. That's how I think of them, and I, I apologize to my uh, economist friends out there. I'm a I'm a geologist, so I'm putting this in the in in lay terms because this is how I think of it. This is how I think of it in my own personal portfolio. Right, I think of gold as insurance. Physical gold is an insurance policy. I don't speculate in, uh, in gold prices. You know, I don't use that. I don't use it as a short-term trade. I use it as catastrophe insurance. And I, part of that's cultural, you know, my, I'm half Italian and uh, my wife is all Italian. And so when my kids were born, our Italian family gave my children gold jewelry because, you know, traditionally um, if you, you know, for the wealthier Italian families, that was what you did for children. And it wasn't because you wanted your babies going around bedecked in like (laughs) in lots of gold jewelry it's an insurance policy so that when they go through hard times which they will because we all do gold eases that period so that's that's the the value of gold in an italian culture in my in my experience right and so i do that same thing when i am looking at my personal portfolio my personal wealth i put you know i'm probably ten percent of my Wealth into gold and inflation hedged um, assets, things that when the, the dollar value falls, they will go up in value uh, to, to, to uh, kind of keep the boat afloat. So they're not speculative. And, and there are lots of other assets that you can do that with, right? So, you know, uh, real estate's a great one. Land, apartment buildings, uh, rental homes, that sort of thing. But they're not very liquid. You know, it's, it's, if you need that money tomorrow, you're not going to get it out of a house. <laughs> and, and collectibles, that's another area that I, I like a lot. You know, I see a, a, a great way to store wealth. And most collectibles, again, aren't super liquid. You know, it's hard to get your money back out of them. They're more of a long-term play. But gold gold gives you that liquidity option, certainly much faster than real estate or collectibles. So the question that everyone has been asking me lately is, well, you know, have we seen the top in gold and what do I do? And in my personal view, and again, I'm a fair to middle and geologist, I'm not a registered investment advisor. So take this with a grain of salt and please don't use it as, as uh, investment advice. I don't believe that we've, seen the top in gold. And the reason is pretty simple. We are in a recession. Even though the market doesn't show it right now, there is a global recession on because the the COVID-19 pandemic is clobbering businesses all all around the world. We have shutdowns. We have over 10 million people here in the States that are out of work. The only way out of that is to create more money. You've got to stimulate the economy. You've got to get money into the hands of people that are hurting we know that's coming in the states. It's coming all in all around the world. It has to. And so, what that means is that when you add more paper money into the system, the value of all the paper money goes down. That's called inflation, and that's what's going to happen. And when you get inflation, uh, the gold price goes up. And you know, the Federal Reserve here in the states is actively rooting for inflation and actively manipulating the system, keeping interest rates really, really, really low. I mean, it's almost free to borrow money right now. And so, you know, I'm no economist, but I look at that and I think, you know, fellas, this there's a lot of gasoline laying around and you're holding a lit match. Uh, so where's your fire extinguisher? Probably a better analogy is a freighter. You know, you have this giant ship and you've redlined the engines and there are no brakes on a ship. And so what you have to do is... Um, you know, you've got to begin your turn way before you want it to turn, and these guys, they they don't want to turn. So I I I believe that inflation is coming, and I believe inflation we could be in for a fairly significant period of higher than expected inflation, and what that will do for the gold prices send it ripping higher. And, and as I said before, I don't speculate on gold prices; I speculate on the beneficiaries of rising gold prices. So two thousand twenty. I was long gold miners that had production because I believe that they were going to be the biggest beneficiaries of a rising gold price because they were barely making ends meet at $1,200 an ounce. They got really efficient at producing gold for less than $1,200 an ounce. And when you send the gold price from $1,200 an ounce to $2,000 an ounce, the bulk of that is going to go straight to the bottom line. And you were going to see the profit margins blow up. And that's what happened. You just take a look at Barrett Gold and, and you know what I'm talking about, right? I'm also a fan of royalty companies. So there's, there are these big, um, like Franco-Nevada, Royal Gold, I lump Sandstorm Gold and Wheat and Precious Metals in there too, even though they do streaming as well as royalties. However, one thing I have seen is there are a lot of brand new royalty companies out there. I have no, I have no beef with them at all unless they don't have any production. If they have no production and no near-term production, they're really not a royalty company. They're an option play on a potential. And so what you have is, you know, if you're if you want that sort of thing, you're almost better off going to the actual actual mining company that these guys have royalties on because I think you're going to get a bigger bang for your buck. It's the same thing that insulates big royalty companies from problems at a single mine because they have a little bit of this mine a little bit of that mine a little bit of this other mine. So if one mine has a problem, it doesn't impact the entire royalty portfolio, it doesn't impact the company that much. That works against you when you're waiting for production because you have this one mine, this little royalty on this one mine. When it goes into production, it's going to blow that mining company up, but really it's a small part of your your company. So I don't know. I'm I'm a I'm a little sanguine about brand new royalty companies that that don't have near term production near term cash flows because that's what I want. I'm paying for that security of that cash flow because it doesn't cost them much. So the bulk of the the bulk of that revenue goes straight to the bottom line. That's why companies like Royal Gold and Franco Nevada always trade at a bigger premium, a higher premium to their earnings than um, say a, a, a Barrick or a Newmont or something like that because that you have far less risk because it's distributed over lots of gold mines and you don't have that operational risk, right? They're not, they're not mining for that gold. They're just showing up at the mine mouth of their handout, you know, pay me. <laughs> it's time. That's, that's what we, that's why I like royalty companies. I, I like that cash flow. Um, when you're, when you have a company that has royalties that are years and years down the road, If and when the gold price falls, because we know it's cyclical and the gold price will fall, if they have no assets, they have no assets. And that, my friend, is a company that will go to zero or very close. So be very, very careful about about royalty plays. I know it's the popular thing right now. All the kids are doing it. I have lots of questions about them. I get lots of questions about these companies as well. I have been really digging into and dialing into great exploration plays these days, because with higher gold prices, there's a, there's going to be a demand for um, acquisitions. And there just aren't that many really good small gold projects out there. There are more now than there were three, four years ago. I mean, there's, there are certainly some companies that have done tremendously well, and it's, it's exciting to see. I mean, you know, in, in gold, well, in mineral exploration in general, this is one of those places where you can you can take a good idea and turn it into an enormous amount of wealth. And that that's exciting. As a scientist, man, I find that crazy, really, really exciting. It's not unlike uh, medicine or tech where you have a great idea, you work really hard and, and actualize the idea, and then people recognize the benefit and they flood in. With mining, it's a little quicker because you have a great geologic model, you have a great idea, you go out and you put some money in the ground and you drill it. And within a season or two or three, you know whether or not there's something there. It's even faster with oil and gas. You know, I I used to joke that oil and gas is for, for investors with ADD because it's a binary question. You know, you drill a well, you either have oil or you don't have oil. (laughs) <laughs> with mining, the the thing the, the problem with mining is that you have lots of promoters. It's very hard in oil and gas plays, short of shale, <laughs> for a promoter to go, well, I know we drilled a duster here, but just wait till we drill that next well. But with mining, it's always blue sky. Well, we're, all we did here was, you know, we, we, uh, we limited the south side, but we have 270 degrees of blue sky. <laughs> so... Um, But there are some really great exploration teams out there right now, really smart folks, uh, folks who were successful in the last cycle, who are getting in on the uh, grassroots levels. Now we have some really smart up and coming young, young uh, geos, young exploration teams that have great ideas and they're doing things a little bit differently. So that's where I'm spending a lot of my time and and energy um, kind of looking for those projects because i i do think that even if gold prices stay static here there's going to be a lot of discovery that's going to be really valuable they're going to get taken out because the, the mid tiers and the majors need and we actually have been seeing uh, some MA come out lately and more is coming so so my take on gold right now is own physical gold for insurance because we are in a in a situation right now where inflation is not only likely but Higher rates of inflation than is are anticipated could come. I am still speculating on gold prices because I believe that we're going to see higher gold prices. And the way I speculate on gold prices is through the mining companies. And my, while I have been long um, producers, I'm not as much today. Uh, I own way fewer than now than I did before. I am looking more toward the small caps. And I'm looking more at the drill bit plays than I am at the small royalty companies, as I said. My number one focus is the technical teams on these exploration plays. Who's doing the who's doing the research, who's generating the ideas? Because the ideas are what create wealth. Right? That's what's important. The the bad thing right now is that we're seeing a lot of these companies that launched early in twenty twenty, you know, they issued an enormous amount of penny stock and a lot of that float is coming into the market now it's free trading now so be very careful as you're as you're looking at these small caps look make sure that you look and see how much of that stock was restricted how much of it is is when it comes free trading look at warrants because a lot of these guys have, have raised money and issued full warrants or half warrants so look at the t- fully diluted um, share counts. And make sure you know when the warrants expire and what price they're expiring at because um, they're putting lids on a lot of these stocks. Uh, so, you, you know, you're going to buy one of these things and it's not, the price isn't going to move higher for six months until this massive waterfall of warrants either goes away or, or is exercised. So, that's kind of my list of priorities. I'm looking at, I want a really good, really strong technical team. I want a good share structure. I need a good story. They need to be able to show me the, the value proposition before I put my money into them. But you know, fortunately, right now, um, there are quite a few of these stories out there. Gold and silver and copper. So it's a fun time to be in the market. It's a fun time to be investing. Uh, I hope you guys are having fun too. And with that, uh, I think I'm going to wrap this up. So... You've been listening to the Rocks and Money podcast. I am Matt Batty Alley. Have a great week, you guys. And thanks again to Static and Verona for my outro music.